Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Cult Leader early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Apple Podcasts. You're listening to a Morbid Network podcast. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free true crime. That's amazon.com slash ad-free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The show you're about to listen to may contain themes of violence, occult activities, strong language, and other sensitive material. With an emphasis on cults, murder, and other adult matters, listener discretion is advised. On Cult Leader, I strive for telling stories in a truthful matter, though press, media, and other resources cannot always be verified. Sources can be found in the show notes. Hello and welcome back to Cold Leader. I'm your Cold Leader, Spencer Henry, and joining us today is star of Obituary Podcasts, Mrs. Madison Reyes. Star of Co- Hello. co-star. Okay, don't get big headed, all right. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us for this episode. This week's episode is covering a topic that you and I have discussed several times. Yes. Um, wanting to cover. And I think it's one that will be thought provoking. I do too. And one that hopefully spreads some awareness because I don't know about you, but I found it extremely difficult and infuriating at some points to uh-huh. research these stories, yes. but also scared at how easy it is to see why things like this could happen. Right. Absolutely. I mean, let's be real. I think a lot of us have or have had the mentality before of hearing or witnessing something and doing nothing about it. Mm -hmm. I think it's like you can be curious about a situation. Like if you hear a random scream in the middle of the night, sometimes in a situation like that, we have a tendency or I'll speak for myself. I have a tendency to like, I'll hear something and I'm like, if I don't hear anything else, I'm kind of like, oh, maybe it was, you know, a kid screaming or just random. Right. I don't know. Or I go inside and I lock my door. <laughs> like, because I'm not next. I'm okay. not next and snitches get stitches. Oh, no. Okay. I feel like a lot of it 
comes down to the feeling when we hear something or see something and don't do anything about it. It's because we have a feeling of like, is it dramatic if I do this? Mm -hmm. Is it excessive if I call the police because I heard a random scream? Yes. Did I ever tell you the CVS story or the Rite Aid story? I was at Rite Aid like a few years ago and I saw a backpack just... It looked suspicious. It was left in one of the aisles and I felt uneasy about it. And Uh I felt like if you see something, you got to say something. Who knows, you know? And so I go tell the Rite Aid employee and he's like, what? And he goes and looks at it and he's like, oh, this is, this is from our back to school aisle. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's not a big deal. I'm like, oh shit. But I was like, you know, you don't know. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I mean- I think in recent years, especially here, there's always fucking something in the news, some new horrific accident or incident involving explosives or guns. So even Mm -hmm. going to the movies now, you see someone come in by themselves, which I do all the time. I go to the movies by myself all the time. But when you see someone else, you see someone alone, it's like, are they weird? Do they have a bag with them? Oh, yep. I know. You almost like scout out okay where are the exits Uh what would I do because that's just kind of what you're faced with now Uh, absolutely but when you hear about stories like the ones we're going to get into today you realize that you really could be saving somebody's life Mm -hmm. I guess we should just say what we're going to be talking about I'm sure you guys can tell from the title of today's episode but we're going to be talking about the bystander effect from psychology today by definition the bystander effect occurs when the presence of others discourages an individual from intervening in an emergency situation whether it's against a bully or during an assault or other type of crime the greater the number of bystanders the less likely it is for any one of them to provide help to a person in distress People are more likely to take action in a crisis when there are few or no other witnesses present, which I can totally picture. Mm -hmm. I I feel like if you're in a big crowd of people or you're like driving and you see an accident, a lot of times it does pop into your head, oh, someone else has probably already called or someone's going to call. Right. But I I have called before to report a drunk driver. So have I. Because it's, you know, it's scary when you see them swerving Uh and driving. It's like, Uh especially here, I feel like we have some of the craziest drivers in Los Angeles. Yes. Social psychologist Bib Latane and John Darley popularized the concept of the bystander effect. They're essentially who coined the term following the infamous murder of a woman named Kitty Genovese in New York City in 1964. The story is mind-blowing. It's a very infamous case. I think a lot of you might be familiar with this story, but I actually learned that things didn't go down quite like I thought. Hmm. So Kitty Genovese was this 28-year-old bartender who was attacked outside of the apartment building she lived at in the Kew Gardens neighborhood of Queens in New York City. On March 13th of 1964, around 2.30 a.m., Kitty clocks out of her shift at EV's 11th hour, which is a bar of sorts, and she starts driving back to her apartment that she shared with her girlfriend, Marianne Zilonko. Okay. She parks her red Fiat, in a parking lot that sat adjacent to the Kew Gardens Long Island Railroad Station, locks the car door and starts walking the 100 feet between the parking lot and the entrance of her apartment. Okay. And she lived in this building where it was like, it was a Tudor style building Mm -hmm. and it had stores downstairs. Okay. And then apartments on the second floor. Got it. This was a relatively quiet 
neighborhood. Not a whole lot of ruckus at night. So it was pretty obvious when she heard the sounds of somebody else in the darkness that she was not alone. Ooh. Panic started to set in. I think we've all had that feeling of, you know, you're in a parking garage or something. It's late at night and you're Mm -hmm. like, I feel like someone's watching me. I feel like somebody's here. So in a quick pace, she heads north on her street in an attempt to get to a police call box that was located just around the corner. So she felt somebody... I think she saw them and she was like, uh, what's going on? And didn't want to like go towards them or towards her apartment. So she ran to like the police call box. Got it. She's almost to the streetlight passing in front of this little bookstore when all of the sudden the man that she'd seen catches up with her. Okay. He grabs her and she lets out a scream and slowly but surely neighbors in the nearby building start to turn on their lights. They're opening up their windows to see what all the commotion is. Mm -hmm. And Kitty screams out, oh my God, he stabbed me. Please help me. Please help me. One of the neighbors, a man named Robert Moser, yells down from his window like, hey, leave that girl alone. And the attacker stops. He, He looks up. I guess he shrugs and walks away. What? He gets into a white sedan. People saw him get into his car and drives off as Kitty like is able to pick herself up. She collects herself and crawls to the back of her apartment building where the entrance was located. Because mind you, there's the retail stores downstairs. And so the tenants had to go in through the rear of the building. Uh And so she's, she's almost there. But by the time she reaches the back door, the assailant comes back. (gasps) And he returns out of the darkness, proceeds to stab Kitty again, and she is screaming, pleading for her life, begging anyone to do something as the man rapes her and stabs her for a third and final time. What? Robs her and then leaves her there for dad. This is a story I've heard connected to, obviously, the bystander effect, but I never looked into like the details, and that is just horrific it's horrifying a neighbor named sophia farrar eventually makes her way downstairs after i think hearing kitty's screams and she finds kitty slumped over yells for somebody to call the police and an ambulance arrived shortly after but it was too late 28 year old kitty died before making it to the hospital the attack lasted around 30 minutes i've read between 30 and 35 minutes between the time that she was first grabbed by the guy and then he had left for like 10 minutes and then came back so still i thought you were gonna say 30 seconds no in that time nobody intervened in 30 minutes yeah because they assumed that somebody else would. A few hours later, around 7 a.m., Detective Mitchell Sang arrived, and the first person that he interviewed was Kitty's girlfriend, Marianne. She would later be interrogated for six hours by homicide detectives John Carroll and Jerry Burns, and in their eyes, in, in the beginning of this investigation, she was a top suspect. Right. I feel like that's kind of always how it goes, right? Yeah, the person closest to you. Yeah. And it's this case is so important, and obviously we had to talk about it on this episode because psychology courses have been based on this. Like, mm-hmm. so much work has been built around the bystander effect. They're eyeing her girlfriend as the suspect, but six days after the brutal slaying, on March 19th, a 29-year-old man named Winston Mosley was arrested while burglarizing a nearby home. When police noted that he 
drove a white sedan similar to the one seen fleeing the crime scene days prior, they questioned him about his whereabouts on the day Kitty was murdered. It didn't take long for Winston to crack. He admitted that it had been him who killed Kitty, and not only did he admit to that, he also admitted to murdering two other women in the area. Annie Mae Johnson, who had been found shot to death and burned in her apartment several weeks prior, and a 15-year-old named Barbara Kralik, who was killed in her parents' home the year before. Wow. He was from an area called Ozone Park in Queens, and he worked at Remington Rand as a tab operator, and was also married with three children and no criminal record. That is the scariest part to me. Well. Well, I mean, think about the Long Island serial killer. Yes. It's like, oh, yeah, it's the quiet guy and he had a family and... BTK, I think of. Oh, God. There's so many. Yeah. So many that are leading these double lives. So he tells the cops everything. He tells them about the entire attack. And he said that he did so simply because he wanted to kill a woman, saying that he preferred to kill women because they were easier and didn't fight back. So does that mean he's killed a man too? Who knows? He stated that he got up that night around 2 a.m. while his wife was working nights as a registered nurse, drove through Queens to find a victim. So he had like just spotted her driving, I guess, and decided to follow her. So it was random. Totally random. His trial began that June and he was sentenced to death for the murder of Kitty Genovese. But this story is far from over. Cult Leader is sponsored by BetterHelp. Cult Babes, what's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Are you hitting the gym, hitting the sheets for a little nap, looking at your neighbor's house on Zillow? Really though, if time was unlimited, how would you use it? How would you decide what's important enough to make time for? Unfortunately, time is not unlimited, but fortunately, therapy can help you figure out what matters to you so you can do more of it. That's one of my biggest takeaways from therapy, figuring out where to devote time to make the rest of my life easier. I could go on forever about how much less stressful life is once I learn to prioritize my time, but why don't you see for yourself? Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn how to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash leader today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash leader. Whether you hydrate to live or live to hydrate, Liquid IV quenches your thirst faster than water alone. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients for everyday wellness, all in a single sugar-free stick. Liquid IV is perfect for daily use before a workout, when you feel run down, after a long night out, or on long flights. Basically, anytime you need a pick-me-up, however you hydrate. Grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier Sugar-Free in bulk, nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code WONDERY at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code WONDERY at liquidiv.com. Welcome to your next true crime obsession. Don't miss new BritBox original drama, The Sixth Commandment, which The Guardian calls as immaculate a piece of TV as you will ever see. You will hear evidence of extreme gaslighting. Help me, please. I am going to be waiting on you, hand and foot. Stream this plus the best selection of British true crime series anywhere, only on BritBox. Once you start investigating, you won't be able to turn away. Start streaming today with a free trial at BritBox.com. 
This is where I was like, what? Okay. On March 18th, 1968, he is being transported from the Meyer Memorial Hospital in Buffalo back to prison after he had been... They had taken him to the hospital to treat him for a self-inflicted injury of sorts. He attacks the officer that's transporting him, <gasps> steals his gun, and flees. Oh, God. So he's like an escaped fugitive. I'm sorry. This is after. Yeah, this is after he's already been sentenced to death, taken to prison. He had done something to himself, ended up being taken to the hospital. And while he was being taken back, he escapes. Okay. He ended up going to this house. He breaks into a house that's owned by a couple who is referred to as Mr. and Mrs. Kalaga. And he hides out there for three days. I guess they didn't live in the house. They just owned the property. Okay. And it had been sitting vacant. And so... They hadn't checked on the house in a couple of days. They go to check on the house, and he's been there for three days at this point. When they entered, they were obviously shocked to see that this man was in their home. Mm -hmm. Well, Winston proceeded to hold them hostage. He tied up the husband, Mr. Kalaga, raped Mrs. Kalaga, the wife, and then took their car and vanished. Oh, my God. Four days later, he breaks into another house, and in this house, there's a woman and her daughter— he holds them hostage for two hours, but from what I've read, he didn't do anything to them. Okay. He later released them unharmed and then turned himself into police. He ended up receiving two additional 15-year sentences for the crimes that he committed while he escaped. He attempted to be paroled in 1984 and was denied, what? rightfully okay. so. On March 13th of 2008, 44 years to the date that he killed Kitty Genovese, he had another parole hearing and was once again denied. And... In total, he had attempted to be paroled 18 times, never successfully, and ended up dying in prison on March 28th of 2016 at the age of 81, becoming one of the longest serving prisoners in New York City. Now, back to Kitty. The day following her murder, the New York Times put out this scathing article, which was widely spread, detailing the incompetency of the community, essentially emphasizing how they had failed her. And it read as follows, quote, 37 who saw murder didn't call the police. Apathy at stabbing of Queen's woman shocks inspector. It says for more than half an hour, 38 respectable law-abiding citizens in Queens watched a killer stalk and stab a woman in three separate attacks in Kew Gardens. Twice, the sounds of their voices and the sudden glow of their bedroom lights interrupted him and frightened him off, but each time he returned, sought her out and stabbed her again. Not one person telephoned the police during the assault. One witness called after the woman was dead. That was two weeks ago today, but Assistant Chief Inspector Frederick Lesson, in charge of the borough's detectives and a veteran of 25 years of homicide investigations, is still shocked. He can give a matter-of-fact recitation of many murders, but the Kew Garden slaying baffles him, not because it's a murder, but because the quote-unquote good people failed to call the police. As we have reconstructed the crime, he said, the assailant had three chances to kill this woman during a 35-minute period. He returned twice to complete the job. If we had been called when he first attacked, the woman might not be dead now. The article went on to detail the attack, and then it said the police stressed how simple it would have been to have gotten in touch with them. A phone 
phone call, said one of the detectives, would have done it. The police may be reached by dialing zero for operator or in their area, Spring 7 3100. The question of whether the witnesses can be held legally responsible in any way for failure to report the crime was put to the police department's legal bureau. There, a spokesperson said, there's no legal responsibility, with few exceptions, for any citizen to report a crime. Under the statutes of the city, he said, a witness to a suspicious or violent death must report it to the medical examiner. Under state law, a witness cannot withhold information in a kidnapping. Today, witnesses from the neighborhood, which is made up of one-family homes, with the exception of two apartment houses near the railroad station, find it difficult to explain why they didn't call the police. The police said most people had told them they had been afraid to call, but had given meaningless answers when asked what they had feared. We can understand the hesitance of people to become involved in an area of violence, Lieutenant Jacobs said, but while they're in their homes near phones, why should they be afraid to call the police? He said his men were able to piece together what happened and capture the suspect because the residents furnished all the information when it detectives rang doorbells during the days following the slaying. But why didn't someone call us that night? He asked unbelievingly. Witnesses, some of them unable to believe that they had allowed this to happen, told a reporter why. A housewife knowingly, if quite casual, said, we thought it was a lover's quarrel. A husband and wife both said, frankly, we were afraid. Mm. They seemed aware of the fact that events might have been different. A distraught woman wiping her hands on her apron said, I didn't want my husband to get involved. One couple, now willing to talk about that night, said they heard the first screams. The husband looked thoughtfully at the bookstore where the killer first grabbed Miss Genevieve's. We went to the window to see what was happening he said but the light from our bedroom made it difficult to see the street the wife still apprehensive added i put on the oven light and we were able to see better asked why they didn't call the police she shrugged and replied i don't know Hmm. a man peeked out from a slight opening in the doorway to his apartment and rattled off an account of the killer's second attack why hadn't he called the police at the time I was tired, he said without emotion. What? I went back to bed. It was 4.25 a.m. when the ambulance arrived for the body of Miss Genevieve. It drove off. Then, a solemn police detective said, the people came out. So everyone came out afterwards (gasps) once her body was being taken away. Decades following the murder, a journalistic movement began to correct the misinformation perpetuated by the New York Times stories. In 2004, a journalist named Jim Rosenberger wrote an article for the Times debunking the claims of the initial article. Basically, they've looked into it and... While the initial article that came out sent a lot of shockwaves through the community because they're like, there was 38 people. Apparently the number was actually far less, but still there was people that heard and saw something but didn't say something. Right. The murder of Kitty Genovese is often credited as the reasoning behind the emergency 911 Oh, system that's been put into place that began in 1968, where anybody could dial 911 to report an emergency. So maybe it wasn't as easy as 911. No, but they still there was call boxes or there was like numbers that you could call. So there's there's no excuse. I mean, no. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's the bystander effect. Right. It's it's thinking or assuming wrongly assuming that somebody else is going to do something. Right. I mean, if I saw somebody being attacked and heard screaming outside where I could I'm looking out your window right now. Yeah, yeah we would call. I would call, absolutely. Would we go out and get involved? Probably. Well, I don't know. If we were together, probably. <laughs> Alone, <laughs> probably not. Yeah. 
Now, going back quickly to that psychology today piece that I mentioned in the beginning on the bystander effect, it said social psychologists Bib Latana and John Darley attributed the bystander effect to two factors, diffusion of responsibility and social influence. The perceived diffusion of responsibility means that the more onlookers there are, the less personal responsibility individuals will feel to take action. Social influence means that individuals monitor the behavior of those around them to determine how to act. Hmm. Okay. It's natural for people to freeze or go into shock when seeing someone have an emergency or be attacked. This is usually a response to fear. The fear that you are going to be unable to help because you're too weak or that you might be misunderstanding the context and seeing a threat where there is none, which I feel like is often where my mind goes. I'm like, I feel like I don't know what's actually happening or like that random scream I, I don't actually know what's going on it could be something so random right I mean we're screaming in my house all the time Who I knows? know no I know and then you also have the other like the whole time you're telling this story I think of the Jeffrey Dahmer situation with the neighbor oh my god and how much the neighbor did call and the failure of the police to do anything and ended up getting another innocent person killed. Right. Absolutely. The article also said it can be hard to tease out the many reasons why people fail to take action when it comes to sexual assaults against women because research has shown that witnesses who are male hold sexist attitudes or are under the influence of drugs or alcohol or less likely to actively help a woman who seems too incapacitated to consent to sexual activity Mm. and, and are less likely to get involved. Right. I remember I used to, when I lived in the Bay Area, I would take BART a lot, uh-huh. like the train. And I remember one time this girl was like getting harassed. So like I walked up next to her to walk with her, but I made sure to like gay it up so that she fucking knew like I'm not. <laughs> right, right. But it's like, we need more of that. But I, I, but I also, I mean, I feel like people have almost made memes of it. Like when you see a woman walking, like I, I walk every night with hot dog or like usually I wait till it cools down. I, I yeah. take her on a walk later at night. And if I see a woman by herself, I am like always, I will cross the street. Totally. I'm like on the phone with you. I'll make sure to like yes. say something so she knows this is like a safe. I, you know what? I just saw a TikTok recently about that. It was this guy like on a run on a trail and he's like, when I see a woman, he's yes. like... He's like talking about Bravo Yeah, and did shit. you see the new housewives? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, because you want people to feel... Comfortable. Comfortable and safe. Yeah. And no, I'm not like a fucking weirdo, even though I look like one. Yeah. <laughs> they see this mullet coming down the side of the street, honey, honey they might be right. They don't know. That <laughs> is scary. They don't know. They pose the question, can the bystander effect ever be positive? And it says the same factors that lead to the bystander effect can be used to increase helping behaviors. Individuals are more likely to behave well when they feel themselves being watched by the crowd and when their actions align with their social identities. For example, someone who identifies as pro-environment will take more effort to recycle when they believe Believe they are being observed. Mm-hmm. What makes bystanders more likely to intervene against bullying? They write, good people can be complicit in bad behavior, hence the common just following orders excuse. Right. Someone who speaks up against bullying is called an upstander. Upstanders have confidence in their judgment and values and believe their actions will make a difference. They are more likely to do the right thing because they take the time to stop and think before acting. Hmm. It's one of those things you have to think, take away any 
policies or laws or rules like would you want this happening to you exactly well and it's also acting out of fear of social judgment can sometimes be a helpful or healthy thing yeah but like you think about like that tv show what would you do with john quinones or whatever and it's like how how do i want to act if i see somebody being like bullied or, or treated or I think of one time I was at a California pizza kitchen uh-huh. and there was a woman with her elderly mom and they I, were I remember you telling me this story I was super upset yeah the, the the daughter was probably in her 40s or 50s and the mom was probably in her 80s and this woman was berating her elderly mom like mm-hmm. being so fucking mean to her mm-hmm. that I was like, I can't fucking sit here. So I got up and I told the waitress, I'm like, that woman is like sweet. And the waitress wouldn't really get involved. And like, I told the woman like- Well, she's at her job. Yeah. She has to follow. But I told her, I was like- you are horrible. Like you cannot speak to people like that. And she didn't say anything back, nothing like that. But those, you always leave feeling better. Like I'm glad it fucking said something. Yeah. Versus leaving and being like, fuck, I should have said something. I know. Because even if I can't take action in that moment, I can still let someone know like, you're not fucking supposed to be doing this. Right. Right. Shame on you. But it's also on the other side of that, it's scary to put yourself in that position because what if she started swinging on you or something, you you know, or like her husband came and wanted to fight you. you Oh, I would take that pizza box and I would (laughs) slam it the fuck down. (laughs) It's, it's, it's crazy. But I mean, as horrific as it is, what happened to Kitty Genovese, the positive effect that it's had, which shouldn't have taken somebody's death to happen, but like of studying the bystander effect and like the 911 protocols mm-hmm. and that system being implemented yeah. has, you know, obviously probably saved a lot more lives. Right. You know, my mom growing up always told us like, if there is a fight at school, don't get involved, don't watch it, don't anything because you could be held liable or you know you'd be complicit but she never said go call 911 <laughs> she was just she said like, just turn the other eye well that's the problem involved. she's a bystander <laughs> she was push, pushing you towards being a bystander but yeah it, it's absolutely horrifying to imagine being in a scenario where you feel like your life is at risk and you're screaming for help and nobody will do anything. People are watching or people are fucking nowadays pulling out their phone and filming it. Oh my gosh. It's like that episode of Black Mirror. It's called like White Bear or something. I don't know. People are just, everyone just has their phones out filming shit that's happening. It's like, people are like, help me. It's fucked. We live in a very gross world. Like yeah. whenever I see TikToks of people filming fights or oh. things like that, I'm like, what are you? Yeah. What are you doing? What are you doing? It's gross. So gross. It's not entertainment, you know? No. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
Now that we've heard the story that really started the bystander effect, I believe you have a story you'd like to share. I do. It's not a murder, but you may be able to say it's a murder. I don't know. You guys be the judge. It really showcases people not doing their job and being afraid of breaking protocols. Okay, so we have Raymond Zach, and this story is really sad. It's really upsetting. I watched a whole documentary on this incident called Shallow Waters. So you guys should go watch it. It's like 30 minutes. It's free. It's it's really informative. But in 2011, a 53-year-old man named Raymond Zach from Alameda, California, visited the Robert Crown Memorial Beach, and it was on Memorial Day, May 30th, and his foster mother, Dolores, had called a friend and said that Raymond was missing, and she thinks that he went for a walk down at the beach. She wasn't sure, so she went and checked. Dolores found him walking on the beach and recalls him saying that he needed to go pray. She pleaded with him to come back home as he was getting wet and started walking in the water and the water was super cold. Oh, so he was suffering from some sort of like mental... So everything that I read and watch all describe him as mentally ill... So I'm not trying to be offensive by saying he's mentally ill, but yes, there was something, something there. They never specifically said what he was suffering from, but he was mentally ill. So Raymond proceeded to walk out 150 yards into the ocean and Dolores was freaking out because she felt like he was trying to commit suicide. She called 911 And in the tapes released, she says, he's trying to drown himself. Hurry up. He's way out there. He doesn't swim. Please hurry. And this was around 1130 a.m. And Raymond really couldn't swim. He did not know how to, but he was tall. He was like 6'3". So he stood in the water 150 yards out, like neck deep. And many accounts say that at some points he had his hands straight up in the air as if he was praying, like he said he was going to do. But others argue that that's a universal sign of help me. Like, I'm yeah, in the water, like, uh-huh. my arms are up. Many others who were there called 911 and they also pleaded with operators to send help. So police and firefighters responded to the 911 calls and the police contact the U.S. Coast Guard about two minutes later after receiving those calls and they arrived to the beach. The Coast Guard said that it was going to be like 40 minutes out and then eventually they determined it's way too shallow for them to even try to do a rescue from a boat. Well, why didn't somebody just go in the water if it was that shallow? Well, we'll see because you're right. Everybody just stood there. Police expected the firefighters to enter the water. Firefighters said they weren't certified to do water rescue and their protocol was to not to. So what, just watch this person wade into the water and die? Well, onlookers, including Dolores' friend, tried to enter the water to save him and take matters into their own hands, but authorities told them not to and to wait for a boat. What? It is so fucking mind-blowing, Spencer. Other onlookers figured that the slew of police and firefighters were going to handle it, of course, and nobody did fucking anything. What? After about an hour of Raymond Zach wading in neck deep water, he collapsed due to hypothermia because the water was like 56 degrees. So they waited till he collapsed? They waited till he collapsed 
did officers and firefighters retrieve his floating body at that point? No. You're kidding. Nope. They let him drift around for another 20 minutes. What the fuck? Until someone who was an onlooker, who was like a retired nurse, went in the water and pulled him out. Oh my, and his mother's just watching. Everyone's just standing there watching. Everybody's just standing. Police, firefighters. Everybody. Then he was taken to a hospital where he later died. They could have walked through the water. They didn't need to swim. It wasn't that deep. There was no, they couldn't even bring a boat because it was so shallow. It was so shallow. hell? Everyone just stared at him and watched him die. There are reports that there were 75 people total that didn't do anything god for an hour the day after the incident according to cbs news quote the day after the drowning the fire department changed its policy so rescue swimmers could be sent into the water at the discretion of the incident commander on scene acting city manager lisa goldman said at tuesday's city council meeting the department has 30 volunteers scheduled for rescue swimmer training including 16 who will begin the certification process next week she said the city will also conduct an independent review and is compiling documents relevant to the the incident, Mayor Marie Gilmore said at the meeting. The materials will include transcripts, timelines, and department memos regarding water rescue training. The site was under construction today and is expected to go live by the end of the week. This has been a really tragic, tragic situation for obviously Mr. Zach and certainly his family and members of the public. We will be as transparent as we can. We understand that there is a competence problem right now, and we want to assure our residents we have made and will continue to make the changes that are necessary. Deputy Fire Chief Olson said last week that if a firefighter had disobeyed protocol by going in after Zach without proper training, the individual would not necessarily have been punished. But Zach was an adult man, six feet three inches tall and 280 pounds, who was intent on taking his own life, Olson said. First responders had no way of knowing if he were armed or would have tried to hurt a would-be rescuer. Grabbing an arm and tugging him to shore is not only maybe not an option, but perhaps recklessly dangerous. The water was also about 54 degrees, adding to the difficulties rescuers faced. And I'm like, that is your job. It is your job. And it's sick that, I mean, it's, it's a lot like Kitty Genovese, where it's another unnecessary death, so avoidable. And I mean, thank God new systems started to be put into place afterwards, but it Mm -hmm. shouldn't have taken somebody dying. His arms were up. They could have immediately within 20 minutes of him being there and seeing that his arms were up. He's in the water. Yes, I know. How, How bizarre. Bizarre. And what's really sad, I heard that there were moments, I believe his back was turned to them, but there were moments where he would look back as if it were like, is somebody going to save me? Oh my God, I just got chills. It Heartbreaking. is so fucked up. Also, the family sued the city, which I would too. Nobody fucking did anything. But a judge dismissed the case and said they had no legal duty to rescue. Wow. How fucked is that? So fucking lame. I know. Come on. Just 75 people for an hour just watching somebody, watching somebody die. Wild. Two very horrific circumstances that, thank God, changed history. Mm -hmm. 
I think that's where we should wrap it up for this week. Okay. Uh, I think next week, if y'all would be so kind to join us, we are going to be going over several more instances of the bystander effect, but from different perspectives. Yes. All right. Well, that is where we're going to leave it for this week. I'll see you next time. And until next time, if you see something, say something. Goodbye. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Cult Leader early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen early and ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. The wait is over. So far, you're not losing. The only thing you're losing is my patience. Quickly, I see that. Bing! The queen of the courtroom is back. I didn't do anything. You wouldn't know the truth if it came up and slapped you in the face. I see he's not intimidated by anything. I can fix that. New cases. She wanted to fight me. Leave her alone. Okay, so, um... Not, this is not a so. This is a period. Classic Judy. Did you sleep with her? Yes, Your Honor. You married his cousin. His brother. That's not him. Yes, ma'am. I would make a beeline for the door. The Emmy Award-winning series returns. How did I know that? I have a crystal ball in my head. It's an all-new season. It's streaming. You can say anything. (laughs) Judy Justice, only on Freebie.